existed before creation eternity in your hands you spoke the earth into motion my soul now to stand you stood before my failure carried the cross for my shame my sin weighed upon your shoulder my soul now to stand this out together. So what can I say? What can I do? Offer this Hi, I'm Brian Carroll, and this is my friend Christina Slavic, and uh, we're really excited to tell you about uh, Together We Pray. That is something that we're launching on um, October Sunday, October 10th. And um, it is initially a six-week focus, but we're hoping it'll become a lifetime of prayer for Cypress Bible Church. Uh, a few months ago, uh, staff was gathered together, and we were just looking at some areas of Cypress Bible Church that we felt were a little weak. And one of those areas that we identified was that we do a pretty good job of keeping people's needs out in front of the congregation to pray for. But we weren't doing a very good job of keeping leadership needs out there and praying for leadership at the forefront of what people are doing, or praying for our whole church body, that we would become a more worshiping people, that we'd be a people that is carrying the gospel outside of our walls, that we were neglecting to focus together in ways that we feel like God would really call us as a church to impact our community. And so because of that, we met together with a team, and that's where Christina joined our team. Um, there's several of us that are on that team to decide what is a way or a strategy that we could get us all praying together about the same topics, about the same time, about the future direction that God would have for us as a church. And so we're real excited about that. And uh, Christina, I always like talking to you about prayer because you really boil prayer down to simple things. People sometimes think it's complicated. Tell me about how you approach prayer and how you encourage others to approach prayer. Well, I am very excited to be um, involved with this. And yes, prayer is not hard. And I think that is one thing that I have driven home and I love to even teach children. It's just a conversation that you're having with God. And I think because we are believers, we are His children, we get to talk to God. And uh, because of Jesus' blood, we have access to Him. It's, I think, amazing. It never ceases to amaze me. And I, I just would love the opportunity to get more people just comfortable with praying. It is not hard. You don't need to have special words. You don't need to uh, follow anybody's way of speaking. Uh, we just get to talk to the creator of the universe who loves us and wants to answer prayers for us. And the Bible tells us there's things that we will not ever see because they don't ask. So let's ask and let's ask together. Uh, during this time of this initiative of praying for the needs of our church and for the things that we can gather here together to worship, get to do what his kingdom is. The other thing I appreciate, Christina, that you always say this as well. You say, you know, we've also got to remember that prayer is talking to God, but it's also sitting in silence sometimes because God wants to speak to us too and impress us, reaffirm things in his word in our own hearts and lives. And so it's a mutual thing. So I appreciate that aspect as well. Well, there are two things that we've done. One is we've created some tools and we're going to ask every group in the whole church, every time they gather to use that tool uh, as part of their meeting together. And then we'll provide some opportunities and I'll talk about those opportunities in a minute. But why don't you tell them about the tools that we've provided? 
Well, very simply, we have a binder that will be distributed on October 10th. Yes. Um, and it's just a little small binder. And weekly, you will receive one little sheet like this that will guide your weekly prayers. Um, and this will be the statement and the sample prayer and the verses that you get to meditate over that week um, and use as we are just praying together. Together we pray. We're going to be praying similar things so we can be united in spirit. Great. And then that's a, a tool that then they'll get each next week. But each week they'll get another tool they can pick up and they'll also be available online as well. The second thing is, is that we want to provide opportunities. As we said, every group that already meets, we want them to be doing that. But we want to provide opportunity for those of you who may not yet be in a group. One day we want you to be in a group. But if you're not yet in a group or a group just doesn't work for you at this season of your life, then uh, we want to provide opportunities. And so we're going to have opportunities at 8.30 a.m. and 8.30 p.m. every day. There's two ways you can do that. One is you can just stop and pray yourself during that time, set an alarm, or you can ask us to send you a reminder. We'll let you know how to do that uh, through emails and things on the website. Um, or the other option is that you can join us via Zoom. You can join us uh, every day. It will be Sunday through Saturday. Uh, we'll be praying at 8.30 in the morning and 8.30 at night via Zoom. We'll send out that link that you can join us. And when you come to Zoom, you don't have to pray out loud. You can if you'd like to, but you can listen to the prayers of others and affirm them in your own heart as you listen to them. Or there will be a place that you can even type in prayers if that's a more comfortable medium for you. Um, and then on Sunday, uh, a special day, 8.30 a.m., we will be meeting in the job room and that will be a time the room will be open between 8 30 and 9 you can come and go as it works in your schedule on that morning but to come and pray and each of those times we gather on zoom and in in the java room we'll be focused on the same things for that particular week so we really hope you'll be able to to join us for one of those things and uh and as we talked with christina one of the things that we've talked about is that we don't want this to just be a six-week season clearly we want this to be a big launch in that but we want this to become a pattern for cypress bible church into the future and uh christina what's coming Coming up on, on uh, Wednesday, November 17th. Yes, at the conclusion of this six-week initiative, we will gather together as a body corporately to celebrate what we've seen God do. So November 17th in uh, the Student Life Center gym, we will gather together from 7 to 8 p.m. Um, and just get to celebrate, get to pray together. We really hope you'll join us as Together We Pray. Good morning, Cypress Bible Church. Welcome to worship. Would you stand together with us and welcome those online? We invite you to sing out with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Let's lift us up. Come, let us worship our King. Come, let us bow at His feet. He has done great things. See what our Savior has done. See how His love
Welcome. You can be seated. My name is Brian Carroll. My privilege to welcome you here to Cypress Bible Church. At Cypress Bible Church, we say that you're welcome here wherever you come from. Uh, so beginning where you are and becoming more like Jesus. And my hope is you'll join us in that process of moving towards who God created us to be and be all that we can be through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Um, this morning, I just want to draw a couple of attentions to um, uh, some announcements. Uh, the first is this morning, we start a new series in Ecclesiastes. And so out in the foyer, there are some booklets. Uh, there are places that you can take as sermon notes. There are also places for you to do your own personal study. Uh, before you come on Sunday mornings. And uh, so we'd encourage you to stop out and pick one of those up. And so those are available. They'll be there. They're there now and they'll be there after the service as well. Also, we have a, um, a big uh, launch that we're doing next week. It's called Together We Pray. Some of you saw the video as you were coming in. Uh, we will show that same video at the conclusion of the service. But basically, in a nutshell, we as a church are gathering together for six weeks. Uh, we're going to gather together every morning at 8.30 a.m. and 8.30 p.m. online uh, through Zoom. Or you can just join us. Anyway, Hopefully you got one of these cards when you, you came in. It'll give you all the details. Or if you stay and watch the video at the end, it'll get all the de- you'll get the details as well. But uh, we together want to come together as a church body to worship God together, to pray together, and to pray for God's direct- continued direction for us at Cypress Bible Church. Uh, CBC 101 resumes today. Uh, it, uh, we took a break last week because of a COVID case, but we're back meeting today. If you're new to Cypress Bible Church and you have time to stay after this morning, uh, you're welcome to join us in the Java room back over there at 11 o'clock. Uh, membership class is next Sunday. If you're interested in being part of the membership class, we encourage you to go through these doors. To the left, there's a, there's a counter there, the grow counter. You can sign up to be part of that. We'll get you information this week on that. Also, there is a fourth quarter men's fishing trip uh, that is coming up, and you can see the details up there. You need to register by October 11th. If you want to know more information about that, there's some men out there in the foyer dressed in fishing garb. You can stop and interact with them this morning about that. Uh, One last thing, in order for us to keep our communication going with you, um, we are now beginning to use text as well. We'll be using texting for the um, uh, the, um, Together We Pray series. And and also, if we don't have your email, we'd like to know how to best keep communication with you. So today, if you go out through the door and to your right, there's a table there. If if you already get our emails, that's great. If you want to get texts from us as reminders, especially during the prayer time, we encourage you to go out there and go to the right. And then you just need to give us your cell phone carrier because we need that carrier in order to get the information to you. Um, Anyway, so we encourage you to do that just to keep us a better way to keep communication going with you. Um, At Cypress Bible Church also, we gather together for life-changing worship. That's what we're here to do today. 
We grow through life-changing truth. And we encourage you to be part of a smaller group to make that happen. And then we go in life-changing uh, mission so that we take the good news of Jesus to people across the street and all over the world. Will you uh, join me in praying? Lord, we thank you for this morning, the opportunity to worship you. And Lord, as we worship you, uh, we pray, Lord, that our hearts would be ready to receive what you have for us. Uh, and so, Lord, we thank you that indeed you are our God and that we have access to you because of the blood of Jesus. And we thank you for Jesus, and we pray these things in his name. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Brian. Well, we're so glad that you're here in worship today. My name is Josh Stewart, and I have the privilege of being with you for a few weeks and leading in worship. And I said this last week, but I actually have a whole pretty much different team than I did last week. But I gotta, you got to be so thankful for this worship team that you guys have leading you in worship every week. Such an incredible blessing to have them. And Pastor John, it is good to have you back, my friend. Praise the Lord. He, healthy and healed. Amen. Uh, I just wanted to uh, continue to focus our hearts on the reason that we are here. And I was reading in the book of Ezra earlier this week, in Ezra chapter 3, and I wanted to share uh, this scripture passage with you. It says, And they sang responsively, praising the Lord, giving thanks to the Lord. And then it says, For he is good for his steadfast I'm sorry, it is very small. I can't read it. For he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever towards Israel. And then the last part of it says this. And all the people shouted with a great shout of praise to the Lord. And I wanted to give you a little bit of context, but they're talking about the laying of the foundation of the temple. And the foundation was laid, and then David ordered the people to praise the Lord. And they brought trumpets, they brought uh, all kinds of instruments, and they praised and they sang. And then it says, they shouted loudly their praise to the Lord. And I just want to kind of go there with you for a second. Like when we come to church, we don't always think, shout, we, we don't shout in church. Like that's not what you do, right? But I think that's more of like a cultural like boundary that we've put on ourselves. But they shouted in the Bible when they worshiped. Isn't that crazy? That's amazing. But all this to say is there is such a freedom in the Word of God about worship, about our response to Him. And so what made them shout was what God did, what God was doing, how He was using them. So their response was a corporate response. I want to invite you, your response as we worship here now is going to be a response that the Lord leads in your heart. And there is freedom in this place to respond to the Lord as He is leading in your heart. And where do we get that motivation from? What has God done for you? What has God done in your life? How has He been faithful? This next song we're about to sing has the phrase, Tune my heart to sing your praise. And that's what we want to do this morning as we come together and worship. Lord, tune our hearts to sing your praise, to remember what you've done, but also who you are. Our God is faithful. He is true. And he is worthy of our highest praise. So would you stand together with us now as we continue to worship the Lord and as we sing this song of praise. See 
sing a new song. Now my heart has found a home. Now your grace is always with me, and I'll never be alone. Can you celebrate that? Yes, Lord. Sing this wonderful song of praise out together as Blythe leads us. Lift your voice.
let's sing about the hope that we have in Jesus, the gospel. Let's sing this together. How great the chasm that lay between us. How high the mountain I could not climb. In desperation, I turned to heaven and spoke your name into through the taking of communion. So I want to invite you to be seated right now and Pastor John's going to come and lead us. Bread and the cup. Jesus gave us this timeless reminder of where our hope is. My hope is found in nothing less than Jesus' blood. And righteousness and we have the privilege to with this simple wafer and this tiny little cup to remember something so eternal something so beyond our imagination that our God loved us so much that he sent his perfect son to be our Savior our sin bearer our hope and that hope is alive, not dead, 
And so I want to ask God's blessing on these elements and invite you to take them with me. First, the bread, the, the symbol of His body, which bore the weight of our sin, and then this cup, His blood, poured out, shed for our forgiveness. And remember that this is about Him and giving Him thanks. And Jesus said, I, I won't eat and drink with you again until... I do it anew with you in the kingdom of God. Our hope is alive. So let me give thanks. Lord, it's difficult for our human minds, my limitations to grasp how deep and wide and long and far is the great love that you have poured out to us. So Lord, we want to refresh our minds every one of us who names the name of Jesus today, to eat and drink in remembrance of the one who is our hope. So we do that now with these elements. Not that they in and of themselves are special, but that you are special. That you have redeemed us from your great, for, with your great love. And so now, Lord, in remembrance, we do as... Jesus did with those first disciples. We now eat this bread and give you thanks that your body bore the weight of our sin. Let us eat together. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin, Scripture says. And so Jesus became that perfect once for all sacrifice. And we thank you, Lord God, that we can now look back at Calvary and know that that cross has implications for us here and now as we are your redeemed people through the blood of Jesus. And now we drink in remembrance of you. I invite you to stand with me and let's continue to celebrate that our hope is alive and a risen Savior. Let's sing together. Then came the morning that sealed the promise Your buried body began to breathe Out of the silence the roaring lion declared the grave no claim on me Then came the morning Then came the morning That sealed the promise Your buried body Began to breathe Out of the silence The roaring light 
Sing this out. Hallelujah. Praise the one who said. good to hear God's people sing. Father, we continue to invite you into these moments. Lord, would you move in our hearts? Would you speak the words that we need to hear? Would you open our ears to hear the truth of the gospel, the truth of the word of God? And what we need is a touch from you. What we need is your truth to sanctify us, to make us whole, and to remind us that we have an identity as sons and daughters of the Most High God. So thank you, Jesus, for loving us, for giving us that relationship with God the Father. It's in your precious and powerful name we pray, Jesus. Amen. You can be seated. Well, I believe in the power of the Word of God, the Holy Spirit uses that, works in lives, and I've heard many stories, known of many stories of desperate people who opened a Bible and God spoke to him through his word and changed their lives. Uh, the uh, Gideons for a hundred years or so have been placing Bibles in hotel rooms and schools and prisons and uh, story after story of someone who is at the end of their rope of finding a Bible, opening that up and God's word changing them as they read of the love of God in Christ Jesus. It's transformational truth in scripture. But I imagine that there are some passages of Scripture that the Holy Spirit would never allow uh, a despairing person to find, I I don't think. I think, uh, imagine feeling hopeless and uh, feeling that, that there's no point in life and then reading this verse in Scripture. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Not very encouraging at all. Today... We begin studying one of the most difficult books in the Bible. I, uh, frankly tried to avoid studying this book, uh, and, uh, God continued to bring it back to me, and then the elders confirmed, yes, this is, uh, something that we need at this point in time. Why? Ecclesiastes deals with the futility of life and the certainty of death. Um, some of the words that are used, some of the expressions that are used are, are puzzling. The interpretation in some places is unclear and uh, maybe even contradictory, it seems to us. God at times is presented as someone who's distant and disinterested in life. It even contains, I think, more bad news than good if we weigh it all out by volume. And on top of that, there are debates about who actually wrote Ecclesiastes, the human author. Who was it? Traditionally, the writer is King Solomon. Solomon, who lived about a thousand years before the birth of Jesus. 
But many modern scholars, maybe even most modern scholars, say Solomon can't be the author, and they base that on some linguistics, the, some of the expressions that are used, some of the terms and language that's used, and so they date it uh, centuries earlier to about 500 years before the birth of Jesus. Well, traditions, uh, Jewish tradition maintains that Solomon is the writer, and they explain the differences in, in wording and expression as later ed- edits done by the scribes of King Hezekiah. And you can see an example of this described in Proverbs 25, verse 1, where that very thing is hinted at there. But whether the human author is King Solomon, who uh, wrote about 3,000 years ago, or someone else... 2,500 years ago, because there's the, where the debate is, it, it doesn't make much difference. I, I take Ecclesiastes 1.1 at face value, that these are the words of the teacher, son of David, king of Israel. And uh, given the contents of this book and the experiences of this one called the teacher, Solomon is the best candidate of all of David's sons, since his proverbial wisdom and the situations that occurred in his life that we know of mirror this teacher. And he would have written these words near the end of his life after all these experiences. And this book focuses on what he went through. It records his search for the key to life's meaning and how that search for satisfaction, for meaning, comes up short, empty, apart from God. I don't know, maybe you've seen the world's easiest quiz. Uh, I saw it years ago. Um, I want you in your silently in your mind, not out loud, to answer uh, these quiz questions. It's very short. Uh, here it is. Uh, one, how long did the Hundred Years' War last? 116 years. Which country makes Panama hats? Ecuador, of course. From which animal do we get cat gut? Sheep and horses. Which month do Russians celebrate the October Revolution? November. What is a camel's hair brush made of? Squirrels. So, that's the world's easiest quiz, and if you're like me, you probably get all of those wrong without prior knowledge. Imagine answering life's toughest questions, which is what Ecclesiastes tackles, the hardest questions of life, and says that we can't answer those correctly either. It, we're beyond our depth. Uh, Solomon was Israel's king, no dispute about that, the wisest man who ever lived, wealthy beyond imagination, with all the opportunity for pleasure and achievement that he could possibly dream up. And throughout this book, Solomon records all these different side streets, detours, that he traveled trying to find meaning in life. He went down the road of money, wealth, learning, entertainment, success, building projects, and the indulgence in the quote-unquote good life. Solomon did all these things and more. And in all possible human pursuits, the teacher came up empty. Now, all these things by themselves will never bring the abundant life that God promises. Uh, Solomon says, I've been down all these roads, and so I can tell you where they lead. I can tell you that they're detours to real meaning. And and this is not an angry young man speaking. These are the words of, of a man who's been through it all and who's telling us what he found in his search. Now, did he find the key to life that leads to satisfaction and joy? Yes, he did. And he tells us the answer in this book, but it's not on every page. In fact, he begins with that emptiness, that that failure, and that is a theme that goes on and on again throughout this book. So 
these first three verses, the words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What does man gain from all his labor at which he toils under the sun? Meaningless. The Hebrew word here translated for that is hebel, and it refers to a mist, a vapor, something that you can't get your hands on. Uh, Dr. Derek Kidner describes it as the nearest thing to zero. The nearest thing to zero. So uh, the teacher isn't saying that life isn't worth living. He's saying life is a mystery that we can't grasp, that we can't get our hands on, that we can't figure out. Now because of his wealth and his wisdom and his position, Solomon is uniquely qualified to teach this lesson. He reigns during a time of peace. Uh, He has all the comforts and privileges and power of royalty. And, And in spite of this, or maybe because of it, he asks, is that all there is to life? Is this it? How brief, how inconsequential. And remember, he's talking about everything under the sun. That's the key phrase throughout Ecclesiastes. It means in light of earth as to what happens on this planet, humanly speaking, you don't get anything from all your work and pursuits in life at all. And so after you've drained all the immediate joy and pleasure out of something, what's left? What endures? What remains to continually feed your hunger for satisfaction? And since life is futile, he asks, how can it be worth living? Well, that's the key question, and it happens right at the beginning of the book, and throughout that we'll develop it. Uh, to, to speak to this, uh, Solomon first lists some cycles of nature and their futility. So let's look at those, verse 4 and following. Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. So the teacher observes how people come and go, but that humanity is transient, but our natural world remains. And he gives three examples here of this natural phenomenon. The circle of the sun, the circuit of the wind, and the cycle of evaporation. The circle of the sun, the circuit of the wind, the cycle of evaporation. Now whether this is written a thousand years before Jesus, or 500 years before the birth of Jesus, this is an amazing insight that's likely beyond the science of the ancient world. The circle of the sun. The sun rises in the east, travels across the sky to set in the west, and then continues around the other side of the earth while we sleep, and there it is in the east again. And this has gone on day after day as long as time has been measured. The circuit of the wind, those great jet streams of the earth, uh, they run in circles. and, And even though the scientists in that day didn't understand it, the teacher described it perfectly. And the cycle of evaporation. All waters run toward the sea, but the the sea level doesn't rise. This water is invisibly lifted up to the clouds by the the circle of the sun, which are moved by the circuit of the wind, and then drop their moisture back from where it came. On and on and on. The, The teacher seems to suggest that all of this is futile. It's empty. Because shouldn't humans be permanent and nature transient? That's his question. 
You know, it's amazing how much we learn in those well, the first year of life, and then by the time we're 10 years old, how much we learn, and then by the time we're 20 years old, and we keep learning at 30, and at 40, and about 50, you start forgetting some things, but you're still learning some things, and then that goes on, and, and life experience, you learn, and you grow, and this get, and, and after learning all of those lessons, after gathering all of that knowledge and experience, then life comes to an end, and the next generation has to start all over again from scratch. Don't you wish you could transfer all those hard lessons directly into the brain of your child? Don't you wish that you could teach them? But most things they have to discover for themselves or have to learn the hard way. And how does the teacher feel about this? Uh, Verse 8, all things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been what has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There's nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, there's something new. It was already here long ago. It was here before our time. There is no remembrance of men of old, and even those who are yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow. He says, life is tiring. Wearisome is a word that's used elsewhere in the Old Testament to describe an exhausting journey or to describe somebody who's running for their life from an enemy. It's tiring. It's exhausting. There's an exhaustion that we experience as we go through life and our desires are never fully, completely satisfied. It's never enough. That's what I named this chapter. It's never enough. Our senses are always looking for more. Uh, we want to see more. We want to know more, feel more. I've had the privilege of traveling to a lot of places, not every state in the Union, but most of them have the privilege of traveling to many places in the world. I've enjoyed, there's not a place I've been that I wouldn't like to go back and see more of, the things that I've forgotten or I'd like to experience again. But there's so much more in the world to see. Why would I go back to something I've already seen so I could see something new? Do you feel that way at all? There's other parts of the world I'd love to see, and yet there's some places in the United States I haven't visited that I'd love to see. But even though there's, there are things that we long to see or hear something new about, there really isn't anything that's truly new. Life is a repeat of what has been done before, Solomon says. Certainly there are new buildings, there are new technology, new ideas, new ways of doing things, but fundamentally, uh, when it comes to our human experience, it's the same because all these new methods or ways are simply trying to get at the same issues. Why do we think they're new? Well, verse 11 says because we forget. Our memories are faulty. The past is lost to the mists of time and memory. And so, yes, we develop different methods of communication or ways of entertainment or warfare or travel or learning or hating or producing or lusting or working or buying, but fundamentally, nothing has changed. Now, Amy, my wife, said to me this week, she said, do you know, there's a box in our closet that is filled with wires and chargers and connections and we don't even know what this stuff is for we have this whole box of things that just sits there and she is so completely wrong because we don't have one box we have two boxes of things 
that I don't know. This is technology that's passed me by. I don't know where this charger goes to. If anything, I don't know if I should save it or not save it. I don't know. But these are all things to hook to printers or computers or cassette tape decks or maybe eight tracks. I don't know. And we're saving it all as technology. But it's all to hit at the same thing. What? Like communication? I've got printers and monitors in my closet too that have long passed by their usefulness. But it's all about the same thing, being productive and communicating and entertaining, all of that. But it's a cycle that that never ends. It's an empty pursuit after things. Is that what life is about, Solomon says? Well, he begins his search for an answer and continues in verse 12. I, the teacher, was king over Israel and Jerusalem. I devoted myself to study and to explore by wisdom everything being done in the world. What a heavy burden God has laid on the sons of men. I've seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. What is twisted cannot be straightened. What is missing cannot be counted. So in the quest for satisfaction in life, Solomon starts with wisdom. The knowledge here of the wisest man who ever lived brought him fame and fortune. And yet he identifies this quest for knowledge as a detour to satisfaction and meaning in life. And so understand that whether you are focused on getting a degree or you're a lifetime learner or you're an engineer, you're a problem solver, a voracious reader, a deep thinker, have a Mensa-sized IQ, that is not the key, Solomon says. The desire for more answers, more information, more facts, more more intellectual achievement is unsatisfying. Years ago, I had a, 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 still a very good friend of mine. He was working in a job that he didn't like. Uh, and he wanted to get another one, but he found the biggest problem was that he d- d- did not have a degree. He had all this knowledge, but he had dropped out of school so that he could get into business. And now he said, what I'm lacking is a piece of paper. It's just that piece of paper. If I had that piece of paper, I could get a better job. Now that's kind of narrowing down the value of a degree. It's not just a piece of paper. Uh, but but the, the point was he did have that knowledge. He just he did not have the degree to prove that he had that knowledge. But how often... Are you lured into thinking that if you just knew the right formula, if you just learned the secret, if you just found the key to success or financial independence, then you'd be happy, then you'd be satisfied, then you'd understand life. And Solomon says, no, all that is a detour. It's a detour. He applied himself with focused, disciplined study to to figure out the mysteries of life. And after investigating them on all sides, he concludes that God has dropped a staggering burden on the sons of men. By the way, the Hebrew phrase there, bene adam, bene adam, sons of men. I think that's an important piece to understand. That there he's referring to humanity. He's referring to people apart from God. And what is this heavy load that God has dropped on people, on humanity? What, what is it that God allows us to experience? What is this weight that makes us so weary? It's that everything is broken and we can't fix it. That's the burden. Uh, humans can't fix it. All things done under the sun means life on this planet. So there's something wrong inside of you and me, and no matter how much we learn, no matter how much we discover, uh, it won't solve the problem. And the reality is that we live in a fallen world with sin and evil in us. That's in us. Everything is twisted. We are twisted, and what's twisted cannot be straightened. And what's missing can't be counted. 
We're bent. That's the word for twisted here. Ever try to pound in a bent nail? I usually pound the nail and then it gets bent, but that's a whole other story. This crookedness can't be solved through education, technology, knowledge, science, or intellect. No matter how many answers you come up with, there's something fundamentally wrong, something fundamentally flawed, lacking, missing, that you and I can't fix. You can't count what isn't there, Solomon says. And this mystery is beyond human reach, scientific advancement, or insight. Human wisdom helps us to understand the world but doesn't allow us to control the world. And so at this point, it's it's extremely crucial to, to understand and to connect this dot that it's because we are twisted, bent, broken, uh, what's missing can't be counted, that God sent his son into this world. That God in his great love sent Jesus to fix what is broken. He died for our brokenness. His blood was spilled for our crookedness so that all who put their trust in him, that the Jesus who died was buried and raised from the dead, that one is saved. That one is restored to God, made whole, and sees what has been hidden. Now the teacher, he's still on the dark side of this search. He hasn't yet experienced what God would eventually do. And so his view is pretty dismal. He continues, verse 16, I thought to myself, look, I have grown and increased in wisdom more than anyone who's ruled over Jerusalem before me. I've experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. Then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly. But I learned that this too is a chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. So wisdom, intellect, brings life's issues into clearer focus, but it can't solve them. Now that does not mean that the pursuit of wisdom is worthless. It's still better than ignorance. You look into the next chapter and it straightens out. It says it's better to be a wise man than a fool. It's better, uh, but in the end both die. Welcome to church, by the way. Isn't that exciting? Paul Thigben writes about George Washington Carver, who, according to Thigpen, that one day in his laboratory, Carver prayed this, Dear Creator, please tell me what the universe was made for. And God answered, Ask something more in keeping with that little mind of yours. And so Carver tried again. Dear Creator, what was man made for? Again, the Lord replied, Little man, you ask too much. Cut down your request. And so the scientist tried once more. Then, Creator, will you tell me why the peanut was made? That's better, the Lord said. And beginning that day, Carver discovered over 300 uses for the lowly peanut. God has made this great universe for us to explore and enjoy. He's given us incredible minds and imaginations And we should delight in discovery and learning and progress in that way. Seek wisdom, seek knowledge, but you can't make it an end in itself because it will never be the end. It's not the end. Human knowledge is never able to solve our fundamental problem. And what it does is it results in frustration and mental pain, Solomon says. 
Because you begin to know how much you don't know and how unsatisfying it all is. Solomon says if you devote your life to that, you will never be satisfied. It will simply increase your heavy burden of frustration and sorrow and grief because you can never know enough to bring true satisfaction. Trust the God who does. You can never know enough to bring true satisfaction. So trust the God who does. Let me put it in these words. That into the deadly darkness of what seems to be a world without meaning, Christ has come. Christ has come. In 1942, Oskar Schindler witnessed Nazis rounding up Jews for deportation to death camps. And Schindler's eye was drawn to a little girl dressed in red who stood out from the crowd of people being herded into the trains. And on that day, Schindler said, he resolved to do everything in my power to defeat the Nazi system. Now, Schindler was a notorious womanizer. He he loved the good life. He amassed a fortune, and he did it through corruption and bribery. But in light of what he saw on that day, that life became meaningless to him. And he risked his life and all of his money to rescue over 1,000 Jews from death. When Steven Spielberg told, retold the story of Oscar Schindler in Schindler's List, he filmed the entire movie in black and white with one exception. And if you've seen it, you know it's the little girl in the red coat. There she is pictured in, in the midst of all this black and white, this little girl in the red coat, among the mass of humanity being herded to their deaths. And then later in the movie, her red coat is pictured among the bodies of some 10,000 Jews killed at that point. Let me tell you that Ecclesiastes is life portrayed in black and white. And the whole human race lives under the shadow of death. But against the, the dismal darkness of that scene... There's a flash of brilliant color. And it's not a little girl in a red coat. It is the perfect Son of God. The one who entered our world and shared our humanity and our suffering and our mortality. That by His death on the cross, His resurrection defeated the power of sin and death and hell, bringing life and immortality to all who put their trust in Him alone. And that's why Colossians 2 declares that hidden in Christ are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. All those things that are fruitlessly searched for in this world are found in Christ alone. And so against the deadly darkness of what seems to be a futile life in a world without meaning, Christ has come and in Him is life and that life is the light of the world. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for the hope that we have sung about today, but that is found in Christ alone. Assure us of your presence by your Spirit, Lord, today. May you bring light to our darkness that every one of us who names the name of Jesus would keep our eyes on him to escape the meaninglessness of this world through the meaning and purpose that is found in Christ alone. 
And Lord, for anyone who might be resonating with the weariness and the pointlessness and the meaninglessness of life and are seeking to find those satisfactions and answers in other ways in human terms, Lord, may today by your Spirit you convict them of their need of a Savior. And that today would be the day of salvation. For your glory, through the name of Christ I pray. Amen. Church, would you stand together now? Let's sing this out.
services from now on there will be elders at the front available to pray with you both after this service and the next one feel free to take that opportunity and uh, speak with a couple of elders and pray they can pray with you pray for you also if you miss the uh, together we pray video that before our service started i invite you to stay behind for a few minutes to watch and listen to that this uh, new prayer initiative that we're doing it will play uh, right uh, as i after I give the benediction. So receive these words from 2 Corinthians. Now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all forever. Amen. God bless you. Go in peace. Hi, I'm Brian Carroll, and this is my friend Christina Slavic, and uh, we're really excited to tell you about uh, Together We Pray. That is something that we're launching on um, October Sunday, October 10th, and um, it is initially a six-week focus, but we're hoping it'll become a lifetime of prayer for Cypress Bible Church. Uh, a few months ago, uh, staff was gathered together, and we were just looking at some areas of Cypress Bible Church that we felt were a little weak, and one of those areas that we identified was that we do a pretty good job of keeping people's needs out in front of the congregation to pray for but we weren't doing a very good job of keeping leadership needs out there and praying for leadership at the forefront of what people are doing or praying for our whole church body that we would become a more worshiping people that we'd be a people that is carrying the gospel outside of our walls that we were neglecting to focus together in ways that we feel like God would really call us as a church to impact our community and so because of that we met together with a team and that's where Christina joined our team um, there's several of us that are on that team to decide what is a way or a strategy that we could get us all praying together about the same topics about the same time about the future direction that God would have for us as a church and so we're real excited about that and uh, Christina I always like talking to you about prayer because you really boil prayer down to simple things people sometimes think it's complicated tell me about how you approach prayer and how you encourage others to approach prayer well I am very excited to be um, involved with this and yes prayer is not hard and I think that is one thing that I have driven home and I love to even teach children it's just a conversation that you're having with God. And I think because we are believers, we are His children, we get to talk to God. And uh, because of Jesus' blood, we have access to Him. So I think amazing. It never ceases to amaze me. And I I just would love the opportunity to get more people just comfortable with praying. It is not hard. You don't need to have special words. You don't need to uh, follow anybody's way of speaking. Uh, we just get to talk to the creator of the universe who loves us and wants to answer prayers for us. And the Bible tells us there's things that we will not ever see because we don't ask. So let's ask and let's ask together. 
uh, during this time is this initiative of praying for the needs of our church and for the things that we can gather here together to worship get to do for his kingdom. The other thing I appreciate, Christina, that you always say this as well. You say, you know, we've also got to remember that prayer is talking to God, but it's also sitting in silence sometimes because God wants to speak to us too and impress us, reaffirm things in his word in our own hearts and lives. And so it's a mutual thing. So I appreciate that aspect as well. Well, there are two things that we've done. One is we've created some tools and we're going to ask every group in the whole church, every time they gather to use that tool uh, as part of their meeting together. And then we'll provide some opportunities and I'll talk about those opportunities in a minute. But why don't you tell them about the tools that we've provided? Well, very simply, we have a binder that will be distributed on October 10th. um, And it's just a little small binder. And weekly, you will receive one little sheet like this that will guide your weekly prayers. Um, And this will be the statement and the sample prayer and the verses that you get to meditate over that week um, and use as we are just praying together. Together we pray. We're going to be praying similar things so we can be united in spirit. Great. And then that's a, a tool that then they'll get each next week, but each week they'll get another tool they can pick up and they'll also be available online as well. The second thing is, is that we want to provide opportunities. As we said, every group that already meets, we want them to be doing that. But we want to provide opportunity for those of you who may not yet be in a group. One day we want you to be in a group. But if you're not yet in a group or a group just doesn't work for you at this season of your life, then uh, we want to provide opportunities. And so we're going to have opportunities at 8.30 a.m. and 8.30 p.m. every day. There's two ways you can do that. One is you can just stop and pray yourself during that time, set an alarm, or you can ask us to send you a reminder. We'll let you know how to do that uh, through emails and things on the website. Um, Or the other option is that you can join us via Zoom. You can join us uh, every day. It will be Sunday through Saturday. Uh, We'll be praying at 8.30 in the morning and 8.30 at night via Zoom. We'll send out that link that you can join us. And when you come to Zoom, you don't have to pray out loud. You can if you'd like to, but you can listen to the prayers of others and affirm them in your own heart as you listen to them. Or there'll be a place that you can even type in prayers if that's a more comfortable medium for you. Um, And then on Sunday, uh, a special day, 8.30 a.m., we will be meeting in the job room and that will be a time the room will be open between 8 30 and 9 you can come and go as it works in your schedule on that morning but to come and pray and each of those times we gather on zoom and in in the java room we'll be focused on the same things for that particular week so we really hope you'll be able to to join us for one of those things and uh and as we've talked with christina one of the things that we've talked about is that we don't want this to just be a six-week season clearly we want this to be a big launch in that but we want this to become a pattern for cypress bible church into the future and uh christina what's coming up on on, uh, Wednesday, November 17th. Yes, at the conclusion of this six-week initiative, we will gather together as a body corporately to celebrate what we've seen God do. So November 17th in uh, the Student Life Center gym, we will gather together from 7 to 8 p.m. and just get to celebrate, get to pray together. We really hope you'll join us as Together We Pray.